out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is the C86 Show. I'm David Eastall. As you know, we love a special guest. This week, it's going to be the turn of the guitarist, Don Brown, who I spoke to very recently to find out more about life, love and poetry, who's got a new solo album out, his first in eight years. This is titled In My Bones. This comes out at the beginning of June, the 8th, um, and will be available from all good record shops online and probably as a download as well. But with that excitement, there is also just a little bit of a background. He's been with Duran Duran as their guitarist who stepped in um, for the, yes, Andy Taylor in 2004, has been on four world tours and recorded three albums with the band and co-wrote over 20 songs on their last two albums. All You Need Is Now and also Paper Gods. So, fantastic CV. With that in mind, what we're going to do, play a track from the new album, then the interview, and then we'll finish with another track from the album. This is going to be titled In My Bones. Enjoy.
Indeed, rock and roll. It does sound good. That was Don Bryan with a track titled In My Bones, which is going to be um, taken, well, that's on the new album coming out on the 11th of June, which is also titled In My Bones. So don't forget it. Anyway, this is the interview. Um, so after several minutes of casual chat, which gets edited out, we get down to that very exciting subject that was really what has been happening in the last 14 months and a little bit obviously, about the new album. Well, quite a lot, really. Anyway, Dom, take it away. Oh, it's been, I mean, it's been a, a roller coaster, isn't it, of emotions. Um, you know, for me, there's been a silver lining because it's given me, you know, it's affording me the time to be in my studio work, finishing off this album. Um, yes. It's the first proper kind of concentrated time that I've actually had, really, for, for years, you know, because I'm, I've been very, you know, very sort of luckily busy with uh, Duran Duran. I've been touring with them a lot over the last 16 years. Yes. Um, I know, that's well, been quite 2004, yeah, so that's, yeah. Yeah. I first worked them in 2004, so yeah, 17 years almost. Yeah. 17 years have been on the road. Because there was a few people I interviewed who, like Miles from um, The Wonder Stuff, who had done, you know, Busy Year oh, yeah. album came out and then said, oh, that's, you know, it's been all right, because he was planning to have, you know, last year as a sort of a catch-up and then sort of think about the following year. Whereas other artists that I sort of interviewed were like they got the album out and the tour was all planned and then it all got pulled and there was even a couple of people who were in America and it was like they just we just had to stop and come home and it was like it took us you know took them six months to get themselves back into some sort of emotional state so it, it you know I realize it has been a really difficult thing for a lot of the it has, arts, yeah. you know and and you just thought god could you imagine being you're doing the album you're selling your merchandise you're doing this you know the album oh, and suddenly it all comes to a halt and yeah. it's like by the way you're gonna have to quickly go back to Germany I'd kind of quite quickly otherwise you're gonna be stuck in an airport <laughs> so, yeah exactly yeah, so it is a kind of weird one so when did you start you know with the new album that you've got which is nine tracks when did this start getting made and recorded because yeah what? so so the bulk of it was done during lockdown um I did have about three almost four kind of backing tracks done before lockdown and these uh, these are things that I've written over the last couple of years and um a couple of them with other people and and I kind of always knew that it's something that you know these were strong songs and I would find a home for them yeah I wasn't sure that it was going to be for me but but once I started doing this record at the beginning of last March I realized that some of them fitted in some of the, the older ones fitted into what I had as a kind of concept and like a theme started to develop after after a couple of months um, yes well I was going to mention the theme because it there's quite a strong a narrative isn't there there's a sort of a sense of rebirth and finding your way because it was quite interesting because you start with mercury ascending you end up with let it let it wash away and in between you know there's songs like in my bones where you've you've written i'm doing some healing there's kind of the ripples in the water which has a quite strong raikud of paris texas vibe in it and a lot of songs with hope and and sort of i don't um yeah some sort of spiritual yeah. awakening Is, was that <laughs> Did I read Well, that? it kind of, I mean, I, so so the, the first song that, that really got me on this album was a, is the song called Leap of Faith. And, um, uh, you know, somebody described it as quite sort of existentialist, that song. <laughs> I mean, that that's the one that, that I wrote and I realised that I had something like, like a theme here. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's basically, that was the first song that I'd put vocals to myself for, for 10 years. Um, and I, I, I'd already had the backing track. And just prior to lockdown last year, 
I had a meeting with a with a guy who, who runs a live music company. He came over to, to my studio and we'd go through tracks that he'd like to sort of, you know, put on his on his books. And he heard this one song called Leap of Faith that, that had no words, no, no melody, anything, just a, a backing track. And he loved it. And he said, look, get me a, a sort of slightly shorter edited version of that. And I can get that played everywhere. So I, I did that. I got into that process in, in, in March. And I, I realised, actually, I love this music. Mm-hmm. And, and a lyric sort of came to me. I just sort of wrote a lyric in the morning. And then that afternoon, I recorded that lyric. And that is the lyric that's actually on the, on the album. Um, I don't normally work like that. It normally takes me a lot, lot longer, trust me. But <laughs> so that, you yeah. know, that, that, that song and that lyric made me think, well, actually, maybe I should be doing, doing a, my own album. Right. You know, I mean, it wasn't long ago, as I say, it was March 2020. And so that, that, was the first, that's the, that was the kind of thing that triggered off me getting into this, this album and the theme that was running through it. Um, as you say, I think it's a very hopeful, optimistic, and hopefully uplifting album. Um, yeah, I mean, when you were growing up, when you started getting into music, I mean, what were your kind of records that were starting to sort of turn, kind of turn you on and make you think, actually, this is this is kind of inspirational? Because I just asked that because there was a tinge of kind of Rykuda and, and um, Crosby, Sales and Nash, and I just wondered if if there was these were records that you'd like, you know, you heard when you were in the house or whether you sort of yeah, I mean, the Rykuda one I, I had heard because you're, you're referring to the song um, Ripples in the Water, and I'm playing a dobro on that. It's like a slide. Right acoustic dobro guitar and that that's what gives you that kind of you know Paris Texas-y type of type of sound yeah um I mean my so when I was you know super young my my parents were um into sort of classic rock really and uh, you know my father was into blues and, and Bob Dylan and that and Rolling Stones my mum was in sort of David Bowie and the Beatles and that kind of stuff so I was quite I was quite, you know it's quite lucky to have that older music, they were still into all that stuff. So, yes. So your dad was a musician, wasn't he, Rob Bryan? That's right. Yeah, yeah. He's a singer, and um, we we had a a band. Uh, well, we have a band, but we don't really perform much at the moment. Called Blue to Brown, um, that we formed about about ten years ago. Yes. And, yeah, I've been sort of performing on and off with my dad for probably twenty five years now. Which must be quite different because of my generation. You know, our, our fathers and mothers. Yeah. Um, you know, they were sort of quite young during the war, and so they had that whole 50s, 60s experience, which is kind of, you know, you know, when it's working class, you know, there isn't a lot of, I mean, it's basically just working and, and trying to sort of keep everything together, whereas it must be different having parents who sort of, you know, were into Bob Dylan, probably David, like you said, your mum was into David Bowie, it must be quite a different experience hearing those kind of songs when you were kind of growing up and also having access and, and having a father yeah. who was a musician as well, probably, you know, people coming around playing music. Well, well, yeah, well, actually, he got into it. So, so I started playing guitar at 13, maybe 14, just as a... And he actually started into music a bit, a couple of years after that. So I kind of inspired him in a way. Right. You know, it's quite, it's quite an unusual way around, isn't it? So... <laughs> yes, my mother's On my mother's side, she was... Um, her, her family were, were, were the musicians. Um, her, so my grandmother was a... On, on my mother's side, she was a concert pianist for a short period of time. Very right. good one. But she had a, she had five children and she had decided to, for the sake of the family, you know, she she kind of didn't do, do much more of that. But um, yeah, I've got I've got it I've got it on that side. And my dad's so he's a very sort of natural performer. I mean, he was prior to doing music, he was a um, English teacher, but he's a very sort of 
charismatic performer in the classroom I've, I've heard <laughs> yes so were you was it was it Manchester you grew up in or did you move to London no no I was I, um, I was born in Manchester but then I lived in I grew up in in Devon in um, Exeter in Devon right right down there yeah until I was until I was 12 and then I came to London I've been here ever since um, and I, yeah actually um, at school in 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 Exeter was when I realized music was was for me that that was what I wanted to make my life um because I had a um a PE teacher who used to used to play great music he got he got me into like the heavier stuff so he used to play this is before every class he would get us to sort of warm up and limber up to Black Sabbath Led Zeppelin ACDC this guy was like an old hippie he was such a hippie <laughs> he was, yeah and one day he played uh, he played Pink Floyd's um Welcome to the Machine, the song of, of Wish You Were Here. My and God. I had heard a little bit of Pink Floyd before this, but it's just this moment. I just remember him, him playing this record and me sort of, yeah, as I say, the whole class, everybody stretching and, and, get, and getting ready to do the lesson and just absolutely being transcended. And at that moment, I realised music was for me. You know, yeah. I, had to, I had to make that my life. And... So David Gilmore was the person who made you think, mm. and Richie Blackmore. It was, although that song isn't a particularly guitar-led song, bizarrely. And I was already into guitar. I hadn't started playing yet, but I was, I was, you know, already loving, you know, the Led Zeppelin and the ACDC and stuff. But for some reason, it's just something about this this track just evoked something in me. I don't know what it was, and mm. which then made me, you know, I then researched Pink Floyd very shortly after that that lesson. And discovered, you know, Dark Side of the Moon, The Wall, Wish You Were Here, you know, all those albums, and yeah, yes. Dave Gill, massive influence on me, Dave Gilmore. Yeah. Yes, well, that had, but you, so it was like the 90s was your formative, kind of really the formative years, uh, I suppose the late 80s a bit, but you must have been, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. that, that was the scene, the Britpop period was when you were really getting into the kind of world that is guitar based pop. Yeah, but see, see funnily, and when, when Britpop was sort of going on, I was, I was aware of it and I, and I liked it, but I was really into, um, I was really into blues at that, that time, you know, because um, I'd done the rock thing when I was very, very young and then, yeah, then got into the blues and, you know, there's that, there's that whole kind of re, sort of like blues revival. Um, yes. Well, I suppose of, it was Robert Cray, wasn't it? Who was, actually, was yeah, there was Robert Cray and Stevie Ray Vaughan and those, and those yeah. guys. Yeah. Absolutely. But that led me back to the older people that my dad was into, like the Howling Wolves, yeah, the Muddy Waters, um, Robert Johnson. Yeah, so going right back. Yes, to, to those guys, and and they were they were the people that had um, inspired, you know, the, the Led Zeppelins and the all those kind of bands. You know, they were all very much influenced by by the blues guys. So so it was interesting, kind of going back a step. So having yes. been, you know, and I was also into people like Jeff Beck. And the Rolling Stones, and they were all very blues influenced, weren't they? You know, as as we know, you know. So. Yes. Well, we never used to see those clips of Brian Jones or Keith Richards talk, and they'd always mention those those three artists. Yeah. So it was kind yeah, of like, respect, oh, yes, that was those were the people, and they, I think, they brought over uh, Muddy Waters, didn't they? There was a sort of famous one of those famous clips from the early sixties where yeah, Brian Brian Jones is introducing him, and he pushes the commentator off and says, "Let's get, you know, let's get." This. Yeah, I've seen that. I've seen, I know the one you mean. Yeah. And it's, it's you know, I mean, at least they're not trying to pretend that they made up the blues anyway, so that was that was quite good. No, which is, thank God for that. So were you sort of, like, during that period, though, 
in bands before you, because your first solo album came out 2004, didn't it? 2003, yeah, 2003, I think. Um, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was in bands. So, like, the first band I had my form was at Sixth Form College. Um, it was a band called Nexus. So, I was, uh, I did my first show when I was, I just turned 17, and we did it in the back of a pub in, in East Twickenham um, called The Turk's Head. I can remember it like it was, you know, last month. Um, I mean, there was a fame, there was a sort of famous bit with, there's a, there was one of those shots of, was it Kate Bush in one of those little pubs playing, which because she was kind of helped by David Gilmore, and that was probably in Twickenham somewhere, but probably not the same. Oh, that, yeah, I, I'm aware that she was, yeah, she was discovered by David Gilmore. I haven't seen that clip though. Yeah, there's a lovely photograph of her in a, in a pub somewhere South London like Twickenham, and I just thought, God, little did we know. So yeah. yes, so that was Nexus was your first kind of... That was my first first band, you know, that, that, that was a cottage band, it was Friends and but, you know, we did our first show in, a, in this pub called the Turk's Head and, and it was just word of mouth. You know, we, we, we told, you know, I mean, we had a big, you know, group of, group of sort of peers, you know, college and, and we got friends and family and we had sort of almost 200 people at this first gig and it was amazing, you know. Um, and then that band sort of remained together for perhaps about maybe two years. Yeah. And we were doing, doing original music and we were just putting on our own shows in, in, in a local church hall and, going around in the back of a car sticking up posters you know classic all around Twickenham you know <laughs> so did, sort of did you have people. did you have a bucket with pasting and, and a big bucket? yeah a classic. bucket of paste <laughs> a pile of yes sort of poster flyer things and we just jump out of this back of this car and just slap the paste on run off as I say I think it was illegal but you know it was totally yes you felt it the time, so a sudden know. adrenaline rush of that kind of bit of legality in life. I know it's great. Yeah, it's great fun. <laughs> it felt okay. You're breaking the law, but in a kind of okay way. But yeah. yeah so then, when great. that broke up, how did you? So then, did you sort of think, oh, actually, I'm just going to be the leader of a band? Well, yeah, yes, kind of, yeah. Because I mean, I at that point, I wasn't, I wasn't singing in the band, and it was straight from there that I went from that band. I went into the because that was more of a sort of a rock thing. And I went then straight into a, into the blues world. So I really absorbed that world. And I did a bit of singing myself. And then I had my first band with my with my dad um, as a blues band where he started, you know, he was singing. And so that was kind of in my sort of like, you know, that was early 20s, you know, that 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 period. Um and then uh yeah, and then I sort of stayed on the blues rock thing and I went, I went to LA in the mid nineties um, for, for, for one year. I, I lived in LA and formed a band there um, from scratch and played in all those, those clubs you're supposed to play, the Troubadour, the, the Whiskey, the, the Roxy. Do you know Lemmy. these places? Um, yeah, did you, did you see Lemmy in a bar? Because Lemmy lo- relocated, didn't he? To- oh, well, Lemmy used to hang out in a, in a place called the Rainbow um, yes. Bar and Grill that's next door to the Roxy, it's a famous place. I never saw him, but I, I, I was aware that he, he used to go there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think but he I, lived very close, didn't he? Pretty yeah, yeah. No, no. He was he was regular at this place, but and I went there quite a few times to, to the Rainbow Bar and Grill, but unfortunately never bumped into Lemmy there. Um, yes. And was it quite because at that stage, I mean, LA had the you know, I mean, they'd had a punk period. They'd had that sort of real the highlight of I suppose Guns and Roses and Poison and Cinderella. So was there was that a scene that was still feeling quite vibrant or? Had, had it started? No, I think that it died out. And the, it was, uh, the Chili Peppers had kind of had their big moment in LA as well. So, you know, this is around sort of 90, this is 95. Um, so what was going on then? I mean, obviously you had all the Britpop stuff going on in, in the UK. 
Yes. Um, I think it was a funny time, actually, in, in, in L.A. There wasn't really a scene, so to speak, you know. Because and... I think at that point, I had Marilyn Manson and all that kind of stuff with um, Jimmy um, Iovine and, and sort of gangster rapper, sort of, you know, Dr. Dre and all that kind of scene really... That was where the big bucks was going, wasn't it, really, in, in America? I mean, it's a sweeping statement because you've got yeah. country artists and all those other sure. people who were doing things. But, you know, on the chart front, there seemed to be this kind of whole push towards these kind of, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think, I think there's definitely an awareness of that, yeah. Yes. So then when you came back to Britain, did it feel a bit like, OK, this is, this is this, as a career, this is getting quite tricky? Yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. So, so got back to... Um, back to the UK and I spent a couple more years doing the kind of music I was doing you know the kind of and I was doing original music I was doing but it was blues based sort of rock with a bit of an alternative vibe you know there's crossover to kind of a bit of a Jeff Buckley thing in there as well that's yes. to, to crossover um so but by after a few more years of, of, of doing that you know I started to, to realize you know I think it was just, I think it was a, a bad luck situation. You know how it is, you know, it's like these bands that stay together tend to be, you know, it, it, it's just amazing coincidence of people meeting at the right time. It's just, you know. It's amazingly unlikely that they will stay together. It's I think so unlikely, yeah. Because, I've, you know, with this, this show that I've, I've done, especially concentrated on the 80s, I mean, I know this is really, you know, it's a five-year. It's a five-year narrative. You know, there's a twelve-month honeymoon phase if they're lucky. The first, yeah. you know, single got played. You know, by John Peel. Say, you know, there was also three weekly music papers, which was really important. Every yeah. town and city had a little alternative venue, so you could get that kind of momentum yeah. to make well actually this is slightly going somewhere and then the first album things going well second album not so good and I've often found with a lot of these bands when they ever say and we toured America and then the next line and then we broke up because America just seems to destroy artists quite quickly especially from the UK that you know this it just is the end really for them so the, the, the second and third album which I know is a classic but by then they mostly hate each other and they've made no money so there's not <laughs> there's like I know, not much yeah, there's not much reason to keep going, really. It's the bands that that, that manage to you know, overcome that that hurdle, that and then stay. You know, they're they're the ones that have longevity. Whether it's U2 or the Rolling Stones, Radiohead. Yeah. There aren't. I mean, there aren't that many bands that stay together, are there? They're just no. I mean, basically, you, know, you mentioned yeah, U2, Rolling Stones, and I mean, look at not, the Beatles. They're only together for eight years. Which yeah, is, and and even you know, like bands like the Police, and they they always had yeah. problems from day one. So it was kind of it's quite it's quite unbelievable that any band does stay together, and they, and I don't think people realise, you know, you're probably dreaming of it happening, and mostly it doesn't happen. So when it does really happen, it's probably so quick that it's almost not time to have that prop proper conversation. Because yeah. I did hear Stuart Copeland saying, you know. They really needed band therapy, but it was a bit too late by the time they got band therapy. But it would have That's helped. That's right, them. and they've now had it, haven't they? They've, they've now they did that. They? they had band therapy. They did the tour, and then they. I yeah. Don't know, they're, that's that's it. I think they've got the, they've got their retirement fund, and they can do their solo stuff, I guess. But, um, yeah, I, I think they're they're very friendly now, aren't they? Um, yes, I mean, you know, I think they know. I think the the, the weird dynamic because I did an interview with Miles Copeland, who was the brother and the manager of the, of the police, and he said oh. the problem is. Stuart thought that was his band, but Sting wrote the songs. Terrible combination. <laughs> yeah, that's not not the recipe. Yeah, so it's a bit like you know, Sting's like, well, you know, 
I can write the hits, but you know, let's let's who's yeah. got, who's got the power here in this band? You know, if it's yeah, spoken, politics must have been quite quite something. <laughs> it was very something. So then, when you got your solo album out, you also get the call from you yeah, know, exactly. So, so you must have thought, you know, Mercury was ascending at this stage, or something was aligning in the planets. Well, well, yeah. I mean, so so basically, I I just I started getting into the session world sort of around two thousand and one something like that and, and, and initially it was just purely miming with, with some big people like Elton John, Lionel Richie, Rod Stewart, uh, Robin Gibb, all these big big names but it was frustrating because I was um, as I say I was, I was miming you know I joined a couple of agencies and you need to kind of start there but I was meeting all these other musicians in those bands that you know it, also supporting those artists and you know word starts getting around so I was still doing my my solo stuff, you know, at that time. But I was torn because I because the solo album was coming out in in two thousand and three, and I was just starting to get some good session work, you know, live. I'd moved on from the miming with those people, and I was doing some tours with. Uh, two, in two thousand and three, I toured with the Appletons, you know, the two sisters from All Saints. Um, yes, absolutely. Yeah, you know, and. Um, and Nicole was, was at the time, um, she was partners with Liam Gallagher. So I got to meet him and uh, did a bit, bit of recording with him. So things was kind of going on pretty well on that side of things. But at the same time, my album was, was released. I released that in 2003. Um, so I was kind of in this, I was torn between these two worlds. So I, I, and I also did some, um, uh, some composing for BBC One Drama as well in that year, 2003. So I had all these different things going on. So which one do I do? Do I do the the, the, the TV and film composing to go down the session road route or do I do the solo album? And the session work was the one that I kind of chose, if I'm honest. Um, yeah. You know, so I took but that then, But then you realised that Jimmy Page did lots of solo session work in the 60s, so it doesn't feel so bad, does it? No, 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 no. I was juggling, I was juggling two, two things. <laughs> yeah, so. so yes, and then you get you get the call from Duran Duran. That's right. Yeah, in two thousand and four, um, and that was uh, that was a very strange scenario. Yeah, it was literally I, I can remember it quite clearly. It was on, on a Wednesday morning. I get a I get a call from a, a friend of mine, a, a producer called uh, Fraser T Smith, um, who had been contacted by the by Duran's tour manager because they were looking for a guitar player. So he calls me up on, on Wednesday morning and says, Dom, uh, I've just been talking to uh, you know, Duran's management. Are you available to, to, to play with them this Friday? And I'm like, yeah. He says, okay, look, right, they're going to call you in a minute. So great, thanks, mate. Put the phone down, management phoned me, asked me if I'm available for that Friday. Um, I said, yep, I, I can be, sounds great. Uh, when are we rehearsing? Well, there's no time for any rehearsals. You, you, but if you can go and meet John Taylor and Roger Taylor this evening in a, in, a, in a studio, they'll run through some tracks with you and you know just see how you guys get on. So, so I did that. So I went down there. Um, it was just the two guys. The other two, Simon Lebon and, and Nick Rose, are both away in Europe on doing promo. So um, they and they had a bunch of guitar players down there, and then I finally got to see them. We had a chat, we jammed. They played some records. I kind of played along of the, with their records. At the end of the evening, they said, 
Dom, this is great. Um, do you fancy doing the show on Friday? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. So are we rehearsing tomorrow? I said, well, no, um, but we'll give you this stack of CDs. So there's a pile of CDs about, I don't know, probably nine, nine, CD, nine, ten CDs or something. And they ticked off a couple of songs from each CD. It's about, you know, 20 songs. Could you go home and learn those and come back tomorrow? And we're just going to jam through them. I'm like, wow. So I went home, set up most of the night, uh, made my little notes for the songs. Went back next day. We, we sort of just, you know, jammed through them. Everything went great. And uh, they said, this is all going really well. Um, can you come early to the show tomorrow? And we're going to have a sound check. And you can meet Simon and, and Nick. And we can run then. And I'm like, <laughs> great. You know, so, so I met those two on the on the a few hours before the first show. And we literally just ran through all the material once. Um, in fact, some of the songs, we couldn't even do the whole songs. There wasn't time to do the whole song. So we did the beginnings and the endings of these songs. It's crazy. Yes. And then, and then we did the, did the show. And um, at the end of that evening, I didn't know that there was um, a whole load of work in, in America the following week. So this was like almost part of the audition, really. So that so the show went really well. And before I left, they said, Dom, um, are you available to go to America next week? And I said, yeah, I am. I can be. Uh, first show is in about a week from that thing. Are we going to be rehearsing? No, there'll be no rehearsals. We're going to have an extended sound check. So again, back home, learning all the stuff, get over to the States. Uh, it, was, it was in Atlanta, I think. 2004 um and we did the sound check and then the first show was was in an arena it was to 18,000 people um so still having had no proper rehearsal it's quite quite daunting um but I just thought you know what have I got to lose I mean no one can expect me to be perfect it's, no it's amazing it's, it's amazing that you know a, a band with that kind of so much kind of business around them as well was leaving it slightly to the last minute. I must admit, yeah. if I go to America, I, I would be packing a couple of weeks before and going through things like the paperwork. But I mean, yeah, know, I mean, they managed to turn around a visa and things in in literally within a couple of days. It was amazing how they managed to do this. And yes, Esther Ford. You know, <laughs> the reason why it was all, all very, very last minute was because the original guitar player Andy Taylor was um, he he became quite ill and he was yes out of for about seven or eight weeks. And it was very, very, you know, it was like two days notice before this. I guess it's a little bit like the Fleetwood Mac situation with Lindsay Buckingham, with, of him being one of the key people, but at the same time having kind of reluctance to do, I don't know, touring or just having a bit of reluctance and just, I suppose, yeah. a really complete team player, which is kind of a bit unfair because obviously there's a huge amount of pressure being these characters and, and, and having to fulfil all these obligations and probably yeah. just kind of for, for occasionally freeze and think, I can't do this and... You know, then you get the dynamics of a band like Fleetwood Mac, which is amazing. Um, and the same, I suppose, with Andy and, and, the, and the rest of the band. So that was yeah. incredible. They, they turned it around and, and you just said, right, that's it. That's fine. Cancel the Tesco's. Yeah, they, they the just Tesco's order. I don't need the Tesco's online shopping for in a couple of weeks. I'll be there. <laughs> so that's, that's fantastic. And it's amazing because yeah. I have spoke to a few guitars who work with people like Pete Murphy. And again, you know, he, you know, for a while, but as a solo artist, for a long time, actually, he, he was often get, having to sort of get you know, guitarists to come in and it was almost like, right, okay, no pressure, but we've got a show tomorrow. So you're going to have to really take a lot of coffee and stay up all night and learn them. And we'll just nod to you. So do you, yeah. as a musician, do you get a few nods and like, you know, 
a post-match kind of, oh, by the way, that was fantastic, but those moments, you know, could you just change it? I just wonder as the tour went on and you got more familiar. That yeah, of course, started, yeah, yeah. You started yeah. to feel a bit more like, okay, that was, that was better. Absolutely, yeah. Um, but I have to say, though, I, I, didn't, I didn't ever really uh, make any major screw-ups at all. Um, you know, I was hyper-focused hyper on, on those shows because there's so much you know, to take in and, you know, you're having to do so much and without any preparation. So you are hyper-focused, you know, you're really in the moment and, you know, which is, which is a very thrilling feeling, actually. I, there's the adrenaline, but there's also the, the, you know, the excitement and, you know, slight nerves. Yes. And do you have that kind of conversation eventually, which I know is often we don't say these things when we should do until it all goes terribly wrong. But, you know, saying, well, look, what is my situation in this in this, you know, apart from asking for the money? But, you know, as you become more of a member and you're playing in on different albums and thinking, and yeah. where am I in the scheme of this? I'm not really going to be in the TV documentaries, but at the same time, I'd like to know, you know, a bit more, you know. Yeah. Um yeah, as the years kind of progressed, that I did have those those thoughts sometimes, um, and the conversation did come up, and, the, and there was a, there was at one stage there was talking of making me an official member of the band, um, but it just didn't it didn't go that way, it didn't work out that way, and and I think they were quite apprehensive about getting another official member because um, you know they they'd already had uh, you know Warren was with them for I think ten about you know around ten years or something wasn't he. Um, from the late 80s to the to like 2000s so yeah so probably 10 12 years or something we were on and and um you, you know I'd had a conversation with one of the guys at one stage and, and he'd said you know we don't think the dynamic's going to be right to have anybody else as a, as a as a you know an equal member of the band so I had to kind of just accept that that was kind of quite early on but then a few years later you know I'd, I'd already I was working on the second album with them and all you need is now which is the second album I, I, I worked with them and I co-wrote that album with the guys. And, and obviously around that period, things were getting very, you know, I was getting very involved with the band, you know, much more involved. As I say, I co-wrote the whole album apart from two songs on, on the album. Um, so the conversation came up again and, you know, just from one thing to another, it, for, for one reason or another, it just didn't happen, you know. Um, which is fine, you know, um, it, it, it's, it's meant I can sort of retain my autonomy and my anonymity and I don't have to go and do all the you know all the press that they have to do every night before the shows you know you know in every new city yeah. so there are some some pluses did you see the documentary on that you know the, the the role of the side men and women you know and and there was Earl Slick and various other singers yeah. who had sort of been in there and having to know how far to be in the limelight and it was kind of an interesting one because I suppose with them they they realized well you know, when David's on stage or Mick and, and Mick and Keith are doing their thing, you know, to know your place. And I suppose that that kind of yeah. knowing where you are in the scheme of things. But being a sort of co-writer must be a bit different because I know Morrissey for quite a few years had, I think his name is Alan White, was kind of a, a co-writer for, for the music for okay. several of his first albums. So, <clears throat> so yeah. yeah, sort of it must have been quite nice working with a band who had such a sort of fantastic back catalogue of material. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's funny you said that because you, you, you do need to sort of kind of know your place. And um, and I was always aware of, you know, I still am, still am aware of that. And 
but saying that the, the band are very um very, very generous on stage and and you know i mean I'm, I'm i perform like i'm an original member of the band i'm up the front as much as i need to be and as much as i want to be and there's never any um you know sort of feeling like oh but you know you you, you overdid it tonight dom you know, never ever had that you I think that's partly because I'm being aware of of the, the dynamics, you know. Um, but it's it, and it's a very fun fun gig for that because, you know, when you're doing session work for a lot of bands, you are you know expected to kind of stand back at the back of the stage, you know, until you have that little moment when you can walk forward once or twice in the set. But for me, I mean, I'm up the front all night, you know. Yes. Rocking out with John, John and, and Rod. Uh, sorry, John and Simon, you know. Uh, and how does it, I mean, because I know you mentioned going to America. I've always thought Duran Duran were one of those bands who would have been brilliant at having a residency. When they say residency, it's only a few weeks in Vegas. I, I could have. Oh, I know, yeah, that'd be amazing. I mean, we, and we go to Vegas so often. I mean, I've probably been, I don't know, 10, 12 times at least with them. Yes, because they, the they are a band. They weren't like Blur and Oasis who were like, big here not so big there you know you know it's a band that has that kind of international appeal doesn't it yeah yeah i mean i'd, I'd say the us is still their, their biggest market um yeah. you know that i can't remember whether it was the album all you need is now or the one after paper gods but one of those two albums we not in one go but um we 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 toured that album in the states for like 40 weeks within within like a two-year period we were 40 weeks of two years we were in in the u.s that's kind of you know, do promotion and touring it's quite a that's a lot that's enough to make you <laughs> that's enough to make your mind bubble so at the moment you've got your solo album so are you because duran duran have also got um, a single and an album so are you part of the band still god i didn't know that I'm, I'm part of the band in terms of i'm i'm sort of i'm on you know i'm sort of lined up to be you know on, on stage with them when we when the next set of shows go ahead but um no no i'm not not involved on this album actually at all um they i guess you know they well they've they wanted to um just uh you know work with different people you know and and they're working with graham coxon who's obviously you know, a big name and he, he in fact he's a big name brings you know, bring something with it, doesn't it, to the band? Yeah, it's good for, you know, it's good for their... Um, yeah, I guess, you know, I mean, bringing in a certain... And, and stuff, and they like to have a story, you know, to, to you know, associate themselves with things that are, you know, established and high profile. Well, I know, there's, there's, a, there's you know, because you've worked with an amazing calibre of, as a solo artist, as well as with the band, so you must have sort of started moving in quite different circles, especially people working with producers like Mark Ronson as well, mm. who's, who's got such a sort of, a kind of a CV. I mean, with, with yeah. that sort of world that you've entered, is it the case that you've just kind of found yourself thinking, my God, I'm in the same room as these different characters who I would have just dreamt about many years ago? Yeah, um, I mean, obviously, like initially, you're, you're very much starstruck. I mean, you know, pre Duran Duran, you know, I mentioned I did, uh, you know, a bit of stuff with Elton John and Lana Ritchie and um, Rod Stewart, people like that. You know, I mean, they, they are massive household names, these people. So you are definitely, you're very aware of their, of their, you know, their fame and their status. Um, and I was at first with Duran and, um, but you know, obviously, I've been working now for seventeen years, so so now I don't I don't have that that feeling now anymore at all with, with them. You know, I feel like 
you know, they're friends and yes. And and you did the classic thing about ten years ago. You you set up a, a studio as well, which was has that yeah. um, has that been a a, a good process? And, and oh, I've loved it. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, I set up my first studio in two thousand and twelve. So yeah, almost almost ten years. And you know, I mean, we did some of the drown. We I did some of the all you need is now. Is it no? Some of the Paper Gods out um, album was started in that studio. Um, you know, Mark Rods was down there, and the whole band we were in there for a few weeks some of the early stages of the song writing there um but other thing with, with Duran yeah I've had some some really great people in the studio and, and I've, I've been you know working on the production the engineering side um I, I love it I, I love studio as much as live you know yes well it's interesting because a lot of other you know people I've interviewed it's surprising how many have set up either a studio or are now part-time lecturers at the same time, you know, on music courses, teaching music, as well as kind of, you know, occasionally sort of going out and recording new albums. So it's kind of interesting how people quickly start to diverse as they sort of think, well, I'm yeah. probably going to stay in music for my life, but I might not be able to, you know, do the classic kind of release album, do tour and hopefully make any money of it. So, so obviously you've, you've got the sort of technical know-how to um, set up that kind of gig as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and it's a learning process. And I've, I've I mean, this is the first album um, in, in my bones is the first album I've recorded for myself, like for, yeah, for, well, for 10 years. Um, and I, think that the production on it is is a lot better than my first album in 2003 you know it's I can see the progression there and and I think writing with it with a lot of different people for their projects over the last 10 years in my studios you know lots of different singers it, it, it's really helped because um you know I've, I've learned how I've learned a lot more about uh, vocal production and, and the process of how they go about writing harmonies and stuff so it, it does rub off on you you know and it's um Yes, carrying that forward into your own music and and going forward from from this album as well. You know? So with the, the the album that's just coming going to be coming out, are you hoping to do some live dates and promotion on this? Will you? Have I have doing promotion in the sense that well, I'm speaking to you. If you yes, and, you know, and there's a, there's a few reviews and things coming out, and I yeah, I'm selling it through my website and on Bandcamp and that kind of thing. Yes, um, but in terms of live. I'll have to see how it goes, really, because I think to sort of pay justice to these songs, I'd, I'd have to have something, I, I, you know, I'd have to have a very, very sort of well-structured back, you know, backing, because I'd, yeah, need, I'd need to do a lot. lot. You have got a gospel choir, I think, haven't you? Or quite a few backing singers on this. Yeah, show. yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, I'd need... It would be I'd hard. A, yeah, I'd need a big band, and, and I wouldn't want to do it half measure. I'd, I'd want to do it properly, you know, properly rehearsed and the whole thing you know so I don't know at this stage that's the truth but but I'm very excited about the record and I, and I want to get it out there and um yes well you know people have heard it as saying it's quite cinematic and it's um you know I think you said you know there's a journey there there's a you know there's well, there's definitely a th- yeah. I suppose I got the theme. Well, I thought there was a theme because there was you know, mm. like I mentioned, there was kind of aspects of sort of. You mentioned you know I'm doing some healing, and then there was songs like Let It Wash Away, which had yeah, that, yeah, which is the last song on the album, and that's like yeah, you know, and, and 
And that's the one that reminded me. I remember when I was young watching the film Woodstock and there was Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young and there was a track called, I think it was something like either Long Time Gone or, or um, Wooden Ships. And it had that kind of very sort of quite beautiful, romantic, melancholic kind of quality to it, which is always a great way to leave an album, isn't it, really? A sort of quite reflective piece. Yeah, it is, yeah. And, and, it, and it builds. It's just, yeah, it just starts with the guitar and, and my voice. Um, harmonizing to myself and then, then I add more harmonies as you as the song progresses then I bring in um uh Anna Ross on backing vocals and that that adds a lovely flavor to it and then you know and it gradually it, it builds and builds then then a piano comes in and then there's a cello comes in later and then ends up with drums coming in um but also the lyric you know let it wash away it very much sums up the album you know it's it's the conclusion it's you yeah. know you've had these kind of Things where there's little discussions about, you know, um, like you said, you know, like 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 doing the healing, and then, you know, all these optimistic moments within the album. But it's basically just saying, just let it all wash away, and just. Was that the last song you wrote for the album, by the way? Do you, do you know what? No, that is one of the. <laughs> I, I said at the beginning that there's a couple of songs that were written prior. That was one of the ones that was written quite a while ago. Right. But it was so appropriate to this concept that, that was developing that, and, I lo- and I'd always loved the song, and it was like the perfect home for it. Yes. Uh, it's probably around, because I wrote quite a few more songs and ended up, I, I wrote probably 15, 16 songs, and then chose the, my favourite nine. Uh, it's about 45 minutes long, the album. But that, that song I decided on probably after writing about five or six, I, I thought this fits in with this, this narrative, this theme that's that's now running through it, and this is going to, you know, I decided way, way earlier that, that was going to be the, the final song on the on the record. Yes, fantastic. It just made total sense to me, and I, I think it really works. You know? Yeah, you couldn't open with it, could you, really? And just last question, I mean, if you could have said something to a, like a 16, 18-year-old self kind of starting out, you know, you're, you know, because you've obviously been sort of doing it all your life and you've, you know, had some amazing moments and hopefully more to come. But, you know, if there's a couple of things or one thing that you would have just said, look, either keep doing that because that's good or I would just tweak that. I just wonder what kind of bits of wisdom. Yeah. Yes, that you, you have that you would say, oh, yeah, I'd have told myself that because frankly, that would have been really handy. Yeah. Oh, blimey. There's a lot of things. Um, I think. The, I think one of the main things is people need to have a strong belief in what they're doing. You know, you need to really, really, if you believe really strongly in what you're doing, I, I think that helps, that that helps you get to that next, that next stage. And, you know, you need to question yourself. You need to sort of reflect on, on but when you're 16, 17, you don't really do that, do you? You know, no, no. I didn't anyway. I didn't, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just went at it, you know, like a, in a china shop just thinking i guess also i'd say do listen to other people older older people with their experience because i i i thought i had sort of knew it all i think you know um so i probably took some some paths that i shouldn't have taken and possibly held me back in some ways and that was partly not having that 100 percent belief at that stage i think i got that a bit later on you know the believing in did your, did your kind of LA period, did that sort of, was that a kind of a, a moment that helped you sort of develop a tour when you sort of... Absolutely did, yeah. That, that was a moment where I realised, kind of when I came back, because I came back for 
personal reasons. I mean, things were going well. I, I had a band out there. We had a, had a small deal. I had management. But I had to come back for some personal reasons. And, and at that point now, I just kind of realised that, you know, I need to be really more open-minded, I think. I think being open-minded is, is, is really important. And what, what I mean by that was I was just very, very set on only doing my thing at that point. Mm-hmm. You know, when you mentioned, like, you know, G Page had been doing session work and his own thing. I didn't get into session work until, you know, I was in my late 20s, you know. Um, whereas I think if I got into that younger, that could have opened up other doors as well. So I just think be, be open to things, listen to other people's, you know, take, take, take note of their experience and... Um, yeah. And believe in what you're doing as well. You have to believe in what you're doing. This is true. Right, Dominic, thank you ever so much. This has been good. And that, dear listener, is the end of the interview. You probably gather that. Massive thank you to Don Brown talking about the new album, In My Bones. And you can find out more information on his Bandcamp page. Just do donbrown.bandcamp.com. And there you go. It's all there. Very good. Very important. And you can go and follow him on Instagram as well, I do believe. So, um, yes, a big thank you. This has been The C86 Show and David Eastall. If you want to contact me, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just do C86 Show, as long as it's positive. If, if it's not, don't bother, seriously. Um, and also, all these interviews have been archived. You can find those on Spotify, iTunes and Podbean. And um, I will leave you with another track from the album, Aren't You Lucky? This is titled Ripples in the Water. It's a classic. Anyway, 11th of June, that's when it's all coming out. Band camp. Have a great week, stay safe. Slaves to his words, a doctrine so absurd.
spreading ever farther. We're throwing stones blindly, causing damage we don't see.